So welcome back to Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. And what I have to talk about today, I'm not sure where it falls. If it's a muse kind of philosophical thought, if it's a mentor kind of practical application, I think there's a little of each. But what I want to talk about is when lives and literature are inconsistent. And I know you probably know already what I'm talking about. Someone who has produced something absolutely gorgeous and led a less than gorgeous life. So let me start by giving you a list of names. I think you'll recognize most of them. Here we go. Philip Larkin, Roald Dahl, Morrissey, Francis Hodgson Burnett, Immanuel Kant, Aristotle, T.S. Eliot, Pablo Neruda, F. Scott Fitzgerald, H.P. Lovecraft, Ezra Pound. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I think you're probably already getting my drift. These were all brilliant people delivering absolutely brilliant thoughts and literature. They've given us words that have changed the world. And also, singly or together, they were racist, misogynist, anti-Semitic, even fascist. So this isn't a new question. How do we regard artists? And in this case, I'm looking solely at writers because that's what the focus of this podcast is. But the same question can apply to visual artists and musicians and actors and a whole slew of other creatives as well. But the question is, how do we regard artists whose contributions to life, whether they're thought-provoking or uplifting or even just merely entertaining, are significant, and yet whose publicly expressed views on other people are questionable at best and scathingly horrible at worst. Do we ignore what they've done and said? Do we even reject the entire opus because of it? Those are definitely the two extremes. And the personal question here is, Does knowing the toxic views of the artist in question affect your enjoyment of their work? So the real question is, can you ever separate art from the artists who practice it? And as a corollary to that question, should you? Should you ever separate art from the artists who practice it? I think about this a lot. I think about it a whole lot because obviously um, we live in a world that is filled with people who disagree with us. Um, And we make choices based on how we feel about that disagreement, how deep it runs, how important it is. And we make these decisions in our daily lives about how, how to navigate having a friend, for example, with completely different political ideas, completely different religious ideas, completely different anything ideas. Do we reject them? Do we avoid talking about it? There are all sorts of different ways of needing to deal with this. I've asked some other people how they deal with it. So, and we're going back here to, of course, talking about someone who is a famous artist of some sort who holds repugnant ideas, or at least ideas that are repugnant to you. 
One person who answered me said that one should consider the issue of cultural relativism. Writers who are dead, of course, spoke out of their times. That's his argument. And he says, had they lived now, they might well have changed their views as world literature has largely, at least, moved away from some of the more overt and repugnant views espoused in the past. If they're still alive, he said, and they remain bigoted and prejudiced, then there's what he calls a middle way in which you can still admire them, but not support them, not buy their books, not go to their concerts. Yet the question is, is it possible even to ignore them? As always, the pendulum of politics is on the move, and these concerns don't belong exclusively to the past. In reading Pound, for example, we can't ignore his coding of Jews as illicitly wealthy and conspiring against democracy, and we can't ignore the fact that that is becoming yet again a feature of both European and American politics. Another person said, you can revere the art. I love Larkin's work, and I don't think I would have enjoyed his company at all. <laughs> the two, this person said, can sit perfectly well side by side. James O'Brien, who's a commentator I listen to regularly on LBC, adds that, quote, these are people who are revered for their artistic brilliance. They are not people who are revered for their toxic views or their engagement in toxic behaviors, unquote. So what do we do with that? Do we only read books that are written by nice people? <laughs> Would the world be a better place if we only listened to inoffensive voices? Would that somehow improve our lives? And then there's Neil Gaiman, who's clearly made up his mind on the question, at least as regards Rudyard Kipling. An incredibly good writer, he says, not always somebody I agree with, but thank God I'm allowed to read him. Not always somebody I agree with, but thank God I'm allowed to read him. And I like that. I really love that, actually. The decision to read or not read someone's work may be a difficult one, but we can perhaps all agree that it is totally a personal one, one that nobody should be allowed to impose on us. Yet even that innocuous sounding sentence is suspect. Sometimes others really do know better than we do, don't they? But if we don't hold every artist to the same standards, do we have the authority to tell people which writers are quote unquote canceled and what literature they can no longer read? I'm very worried, as you may be also, about the rise in book banning, um, particularly in the United States, which is where I live. Um, the sense that someone can say, you're not even allowed to be exposed to these ideas is extremely frightening to me. Let's get back to the people I talked to though. They might have some insights. Another person I listened to said she cannot read any of this work anymore anyway. The book itself feels dirty in my hands, she says. It's actually a physical reaction. I just can't do it. 
So that's interesting. If you pick up a piece of literature that talks about things you find toxic, offensive, cruel, etc., 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 it's not even does that affect your enjoyment of it? Does that affect your option, your self-imposed or self-regulated option to read it? You can, of course, choose not to. And as this person said, if you've got that kind of physical reaction, then no doubt your internal um, process is telling you that this isn't good for you. And I respect that. Just so long as you don't say it to someone else and tell them they are forbidden to read this book. In, in, in addition to all this, I want to ask, is there a line to be drawn between bad words and bad behavior. And that's what we're really looking at when we're looking at literature and the people we don't agree with or the people we um, find hurtful. Is it easier to read something that's written by an author who has fascist views than it is to read the words of someone convicted of a crime against another person? Does that affect your enjoyment of a poem or a novel? And that's a distinction that some of the people I talk to have made, that it is one thing to say something that is, in essence, terrible, and it's something else to do something that is terrible. And is it okay to listen to the voice of someone whose views are abhorrent, but who may have something to give you, as opposed to someone whose actions have been abhorrent, who have actually physically or emotionally damaged someone else? These are interesting questions. I tend to think that damage to the mind is just as important as damage to the body, but absolutely, as always, your mileage may vary. But I do wonder, if it isn't somehow a triumph of the human spirit to find beauty, even in the midst of horror. It's actually what we're called to do when we read life-changing, exquisite images, quote-unquote, spoken by a voice that appalls us. It's also what we're called to do in our daily lives. That's a parallel that can't be overlooked. Every day we have to make decisions about who we allow into our minds, our homes, our offices, our friendships, our hearts. And we make those decisions based on a lot of internal criteria. But isn't it beautiful when sometimes something bad reveals something good, to put it in very simplistic terms? You could probably find places in your own life that illustrate this. And then there's a further step. The appalling offenses of figures like Nabokov or Desad are routinely downplayed or overlooked as if the alleged perpetrator is considered a great artist. So in other words, if this is someone who everyone says, oh, this is great literature, let's not pay attention in a sense to the man behind the curtain. And in fact, when it's someone like Nabokov or Desad or a whole bunch of other people you can probably name, the behavior is excused and can even be celebrated. They become the sort of titillating, quote unquote, bad boys of literature. So think about that some. And what do I think? Honestly, almost every day I struggle with the question. 
we can't simply regard works as a reflection of who the maker was. That's impossible and unhelpful to overlook it entirely. But what does that do to our enjoyment, our enlightenment, our engagement with some of the great works of literature? A woman called Eden Moore is writing in the student newspaper of one of my alma maters, and she comes to a conclusion that's the closest I can imagine to something workable here. Here's what she says. You won't find me listening to artists I find to be racist, sexist, or problematic in any way, but separating the art from the artist is an inherently personal decision. It's up to you to figure out what you think is right or wrong. But if you choose to consume art created by problematic people, make sure you recognize what they did wrong. The last thing we need to be doing is idolizing people we shouldn't be. And in addition to Eden Moore's comments, rather tongue-in-cheek, Helena Fitzgerald writes in Electric Lit that, the only truly feminist thing I have ever done is never finishing a Hemingway novel. Well, she's got the separation thing down pretty well anyway. To come back to Neil Gaiman, he says, you will always wind up in places where you are morally uncomfortable with what you are defending. But you better defend that stuff because if you don't, then nobody who is morally uncomfortable with the stuff that you're making is going to come out for you. So maybe at the end of the day, that's the answer, that there's human connection even when there's disagreement. I'll be honest, I really don't know. I don't know the answer to this. I'm just raising questions for you, for the world, for myself. And I'd very much welcome your opinions. Be sure to share them on social media, or email me, or share them here on the podcast. But please do share them. This is a question we can't let go of. And this has been Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. I look forward to joining you again next time.